God, thank you for this day. Thank you for bringing um, Mr. Battles into our life to speak to us today. I just pray that you bless the conversation. I pray that we're able to learn, God, and that just we have a good conversation where we can grow closer to you, Lord. I pray that you just be with us, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. 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 So, hello, everyone. Welcome to the Triple Threat Podcast. Our guest today is Mr. Andre Battles from the Our Battle Daily Ministry. Uh, we have an introduction here. Andre Battles was born on the 16th of January in the year 1983. In 39 years of life, he has faced much, living in foreign countries and everywhere in America than one could imagine to battling with, with diabetes since 97. At the age of 18, Andre had a dream. In that dream, he stood on a pulpit in a huge football stadium, and he delivered a message to thousands within the crowd. While abusing his body with cocaine, crack, marijuana, and numerous sex partners, that dream kept his spirit alive. God has humbled Andre. He lost his left leg in 2017, and two years later, he, his first wife decided that she had enough. He is now a dialysis patient waiting on the kidney, but he has never been so blessed in his life. With all the mistakes, after all the sorrow, pain, and loss, Andre has gotten to know his Savior personally and anxiously awaits to share his story with you. Thank you for being with us, Mr. Battles. You're welcome. I have a few questions. Go right ahead, bro. So my first question is, were you raised in the church? Yes, I was. I was raised in the Seventh-day Adventist faith. However, um, it was not really a part of my life, the faith that I practiced as a child up until, I would say, perhaps the year 2018. So was there a, a single event? Was it you losing your leg when God started to, when you really wanted to start building that relationship with God and you noticed God working on your heart? Yes, sir. There was a series of events, Brother Emmanuel. And I want to say thank you to you, Emmanuel, and Sister Tony Randall for having me here on your podcast. There were a series of events that took place that led me to the place where I am now walking with God. As a young person, obviously, many a times, we really don't have a personal relationship with God. And we kind of take it for granted because we figure, you know, I'll, I'll get older, I'll have time, you know, I'll settle into my religious beliefs someday, but right now I'm having my own, you know, fun. I'm doing my own thing. And that was pretty much the way I felt. A lot of us as young people feel that way. And like you mentioned, Brother Emmanuel, it, was really, it wasn't really until I lost my leg in 2017 that that slowed me down long enough to realize that I needed to make some decisions and some changes in my life. I always knew about God. I'm not going to sit here and act as if I was not aware of him. I'd even seen him do great things for me in my life. I remember... The year was 2001. I was a freshman 
at Southwestern Adventist University. I had no money. And I prayed. I said, Lord, I need your guidance. I need your help. I need to get into school. And he blessed me. I saw other miracles that took place in my life, but I did not have a working relationship. And that did not happen until I lost my leg in 2017 and then the beginning of 2018. Um, when you were younger, you... It says you abused your body with drugs and stuff. Um, mm -hmm. Would you say, what was the cause of that? Was the trauma in your childhood? Was it you not really being comfortable with yourself, not liking yourself? Was it you trying to fit in? What was it? What would you say was the cause of that? There were a few things, Emmanuel and Tony. There were a few things that, that took place in my life that led me to drugs. First and foremost, I went through trauma as a child with my dad. My father is an American man. My mother is from the Bahamas, the islands of the Bahamas. And we moved a lot up and down, back and forth between America and the Bahamas up until I was about 16 or 17 years old. And in that time, there was a lot of abuse, physical and verbal abuse at the hand of my father. I'm the oldest of five kids. I have four sisters, and so I'm the only boy. And you, you would have automatically thought that maybe because I'm the only son, that me and my dad would have had a good relationship. But that wasn't the case. Physical abuse, verbal abuse, I was cussed out as a child. I was told that I was fat, ugly, stupid, and I did have a weight problem. I was told a lot of negative things. I was given a lot of negative derogatory comments you know, directed towards me meant to destroy my, my emotions and to break me down. Well, at the age of 20, 22, I went to Atlantic Union College in South Lancaster, Massachusetts. At my second attempt of college, I had went to school before in 2001 and was there from 2001 and three um, when I was at Southwestern, like I mentioned before, at the age of 18. But I dropped out of school at the time. I didn't have the financial aid and I wasn't as focused on my classwork as I should have been. And when I got to Atlantic Union College, which that campus is now closed down in 2006, I got hooked up with the wrong crowd. And it was easy for me to adjust to that because of the emotional instability that I had went through earlier on in my life. I was still looking for acceptance. I was still looking for love. I was still looking to gain someone's approval. And one evening, some friends of mine and I were behind one of the school buildings on campus and somebody pulls out a blunt. And, you know, my mom had scared me from drugs pretty much throughout my entire adolescent years. But a young lady that I was attracted to that I had kind of had a crush on at the time, she comes out there this particular night and she starts smoking with us. And I fell into peer pressure thinking, man, you know, if I don't smoke in front of this young lady, she's going to think I'm a sissy. <laughs> and uh, that started, I guess, if you want to say my career in drugs, uh, that fateful night on a Seventh-day Adventist college campus. And I say that to say it doesn't matter where you at. It doesn't matter. Uh, well, Emmanuel, you were asking me about... Uh, 
my drug addictions and how that started. You asked me right before we took a break what had taken place and caused me to get into my addiction. What was there any issues in my life that led to that? And that was a good question that you asked. Again, I say that at a young age, my father was verbally and physically abusive to me. Um, that broke me down psychologically, that broke me down emotionally. And then at an early age, I stumbled upon pornography. I was nine years old and my father sent me to the vehicle. We were living in Atlanta, Georgia at the time. And I go to the back trunk of my dad's car to grab something. I don't remember what it was he asked me to get. But when I went into the back trunk, I saw a stack of magazines. And uh, at the age of nine, you don't really know what you're looking at. Obviously, it's the body of a naked person. However, you have these feelings and these emotions that are flowing through you, and you don't really know how to deal with that. Then I had a cousin at the same time that lived in Atlanta. She was about a year or so younger than I. And we started fondling each other. That started out of nowhere. I mean, it wasn't as if we really knew what we were doing. But she saw some things in her home, much like I saw things in my home that were of a sexual connotation that you know led me in that direction. And we started playing out with each other the things that we saw. And all of that led to the brokenness that when I finally ended up on the Atlantic Union College campus in 2006, it all kind of culminated and helped to push me in that direction. I was already weakened emotionally. I was already weakened mentally. I was already looking for acceptance because I had been through so much as a child with my dad. When in terms of pornography, et cetera, et cetera. And so by the time I got to college again for the second time in 2006, uh, the, the, the atmosphere, I guess you could say, was ripe for me to begin a lifestyle of drug use. And that's what it started with, marijuana. But you know, we hear, we hear all the time that marijuana is a gateway drug and that it's the one that we start with, but that if we have an addictive nature, it ain't gonna be the one we end with. And so therefore, as the story continues, harder drugs came into view. Cocaine, crack, pills, a lot of alcohol, and yeah, still a lot of whole marijuana too, still, I still smoke that, but it progressed to different things. And so in answering your question, I think that we as young people, we as, 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 as men and women who have not yet found ourselves, who are struggling to, to identify who we are and to figure out what our purpose is, who have dealt with abuse, who have been told things like I was told, that you're fat, you're ugly, you're stupid, that you want to uh, uh, amount to anything, who came up in broken homes where either the father wasn't there or the mother wasn't there, or if they were there, they were present but absent mentally and spiritually, emotionally in your life. When we kind of have an open door towards the drugs, we have an open door towards other addictions because for some, it may not have been drugs. Others, it could have been alcohol. For some, it could be sex. For others, we find ourselves addicted to other things. But that's how the door opened for that. Thank you. So would, You're welcome. Would you say your relationship with your father 
led you to having problems respecting yourself with all the things he said? Most definitely, uh, Emmanuel. The relationship between a son and his father is a paramount relationship in your life. It's important. It's, 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 it's no less important than a mother and her daughter or a mother and her son. And as a son, you look up to your father. So in answer to your question, yes, that, that, that lack of a genuine relationship between he and I led to many addictions and led to many hurt feelings, which led to addictions. It led to me looking for acceptance in the arms of others outside of my family because I didn't feel like I got that love from those who I grew up with, my mom, my dad. And then that created issues between even me and my sisters, although we loved each other. But that one relationship, the one relationship that was broken between me and my father opened the door for a whole lot of things. I started finding uh, comfort in the arms of the opposite sex early on. Now, I didn't lose my virginity until I was 21, which is a miracle. However, uh, with the pornography and with everything else, I was very well, I guess you could say, adapted to what sex was. Um, I looked towards it for relief in the term of self-abuse, masturbation, things of that nature. And that's something we do privately. And many of us have had that struggle. If you're listening to me on the sound of my voice, perhaps you have had that struggle. Perhaps, perhaps maybe in your life, masturbation, self-abuse has been your thing. You can run to or that you ran to looking for relief. I don't know. But that was what I did. And it was because of that relationship tear or the damage between my father and I that those things became more attractive, if you will. I started looking for an outlet. Okay. How did building a relationship with God help you learn that self-respect or give you that self-respect? A relationship with God teaches you, first of all, your value. Because in this world that we live in, we come to know early on that maybe, just maybe, I'm not as valuable as I thought I would be or as valuable as certain folks say because I've been abused, I've been slapped around, I've been cursed at, I've been manipulated by friends, family members, people who I thought loved me, cared for me, perhaps didn't treat me the way I expected them to. And so by the time you become 17, 18, 19 years old, we've been through so much, I say for lack of a better word, hell, that you know, you don't realize just how valuable you are. So you turn to the addictive uh, principles in your life. You turn to the drugs, you turn to the sex, you turn to the self-abuse, you turn to the pornography, you turn to cigarettes, alcohol, or whatever it is that has become your crutch. Then one day the light bulb comes on and you realize that these things aren't satisfying you either. And that may take a little while for some of us. That's just the honest truth. Some of us come to the knowledge and the realization quickly that, hey, this lifestyle ain't it. For others of us, we get caught up in it and there becomes a pleasure and a joy connected to that. And it may be a little while before we realize that, you know what, this is empty. For me, when I found Christ in 2017, 2018, 
I began to realize that I was valuable and not based on how I was treated by people, but based on the sacrifices that God made for me. And to make that more practical, let me say this. We hear all the time as young people, Jesus died on the cross. His blood has set you free. Uh, God loves you. Jesus saves, right? We hear that all the time. But it's not personal. It's almost like that's my mother's or my father's religion. Or that's my pastor's religion because we haven't had a personal experience with it. We had not understood for ourselves what the power of God entails and how that can help us. And might I add, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that we all have to go out into the world and become addicts and become addicted to different things just to get an experience with God. I'm not suggesting that at all. However, what I'm going to say is that often because we are already set in our minds that we're going to go out into the world and do certain things, then we are disappointed by the world. And when the world disappoints you, it opens the way for you to look to Christ now as a personal savior, not just this person that your parents talked about, that your professor in college talks about, or that your pastor talked about. You look at him now as a personal friend. I'll use an example. The year 2006, when I was at Atlantic Union College, I had a vehicle that I was using that belonged to the Review and Herald. You've heard of that company. They write a lot of the Adventist publications. They are responsible for putting those books together by Sister White and other writers, right? And I was working for the Review and Herald at the time. While uh, right before I went to AUC, they had given me a vehicle that I was using and uh, I did not return the vehicle when I quit working for them. Um, I was a rebellious person, if you want to say. I was working for the Review and Herald as a literature evangelist, helping to sell books door to door and training younger kids that were in college to do the same. And at the end of the summer, they didn't pay me because there was a situation that had went down. And uh, so they did not pay me. So I said, OK, great. I'm going to keep your truck, your vehicle. And I did. And for three months, they tried to uh, catch up to me. Um, and for three months, they could not get in touch with me so that they could get their vehicle back. Well, they finally caught up to me because they decided that they were going to press charges if I did not return their vehicle. My mother got in touch with me and I'm on campus. Mind you, I'm not a student at Atlantic Union College at this point. I, I went there to become a student. I didn't pass the financial aid process. And instead of going back home, turning the vehicle back into the Review and Herald and going back to Texas, well, I kept the vehicle. And I kept the vehicle and stayed on campus, just living the life of a, 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 of a person that looked like he was in school but wasn't. When they finally took their vehicle, it was the Christmas of 2006, and Massachusetts is a freezing cold place. I didn't have a vehicle because I was living in my vehicle when they took the vehicle. I was sneaking in and out of the dorm, sleeping in the dorm with friends. But uh, once they took that vehicle from me, it seemed around the same time the, dorm, the dean of the dorm caught on to what I was doing, sneaking into the dorm. And so he had people on the watch looking for me to keep, make sure I didn't get back in the dorm and sleep in the dorm. I had no car. I had no place to sleep. And I was walking the streets of Massachusetts in the winter of 2006 with no place to go, no shelter. Mm -hmm. And when you go through a situation like that, you learn who God is real fast. You that's why I say that 
at the end of the day, babe, this is not this is not plugged up. I got it. No, uh, at the end of the day, um, many of us won't get to know who God really is until we've gone through some struggles in our lives and lost some things. Many of us as young people won't stop to find out who God is until we go through some things, until we lose some things, until we lose a limb, like I did, until we lose some shelter, like I did, until we lose a bit of our health. And that's unfortunate. We should get to know him before then. But God is a patient God. He waits on us. If we're going to go and do our thing, he says, I'll wait for you. I love you enough. Now, there's no guarantee we'll make it through the things that we do. But if we do, praise God, that's usually when we wake up to the reality that there's a God and that he loves us. And I'm sorry for answering these questions the long way, but that's just how I am. No problem. We appreciate all of your answers. Praise the Lord. Um, I guess I kind of want to ask you questions kind of pertaining to like, you know, looking for acceptance and like validation from people and like getting over that. Mm -hmm. So like my first question would be like, how do you handle like ridicule from people? Like as you share your testimony, because I'm sure you do experience it. Um, yes. How, how do you walk like in, I guess, the courage that God talks about? Like, how do you do that? Well, <laughs> very good question, Tony. Ridicule is going to come to you and I no matter what. I could be Michael Jordan scoring 45 points a game. I could be LeBron James with 15 rebounds, 10 assists, and 30 points. I could be Tom Brady winning seven Super Bowls. It doesn't matter who you are. You're going to have to deal with ridicule in this life because somebody's not going to like what you do. Straight up. Someone's going to be jealous of you. Someone's going to be envious of you and your gifts and your talents or your drive and your passion. So when you come to the word of God, you learn, for example, there's a scripture that I want to share with you. Second Timothy chapter two, verse four. And I want you to catch this because I think it helps to answer the question that you asked me. Mm -hmm. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who has called him to be a soldier. Now, what does that mean? You ask me, how do you deal with ridicule? How do you deal with people just kind of mistreating you when you become a Christian? Notice the Bible writer here says, no man that warreth. And it's not talking about a physical battle per se. It denotes a spiritual battle. The, the battle that we fight, uh, Tony and Emmanuel, is in our minds. And we're fighting to keep our mind clear. We're fighting to keep our thoughts free from the temptations that the enemy suggests. So when it says that no man that warreth, no man that is keeping his mind clear has enough time to get dragged down with the negativity that surrounds him or her. I don't have time for it. As a man who's focused and a man who is trying to reach a goal, I don't have time for people's negative spirits. I don't have time for their jealousy. I don't have time for their envy. Neither do I have time to waste on how you feel about me. Because whether I do good or wrong, somebody's going to like it and somebody's going to hate it. Whether I do good or wrong, somebody's going to love it 
and somebody's going to be standoffish from it. So I'm focused on the goal. And what is the goal as a soldier? My goal is to live my life in such a way that I keep my conscience free of being molested by sin. I keep my conscience free of being molested by envy or jealousy. I keep my conscience clear by being free of, 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 of any negative energy that comes to me. And I do that by staying locked into my purpose, my goal, which is to preach the gospel, which is to share my story. I keep my mind clear by loving people instead of hating them. I keep my mind clear by always being like Jesus to the best of my ability. And of course, he helps me to do that. So that is how I keep my mind focused and I don't get dragged down in the negativity that people around me are living in. And I'm not going to sit here and act as if it's always easy, uh, Tony, because sometimes people will stir up a storm around you and it's hard to avoid it. Sometimes people will stir up a storm around you and it's hard not to see it, not to be absorbed in it. However, when you are focused on your goal and your goal being the righteousness of Christ, sharing him with others, even you, and uh, Tony and Emmanuel have a goal in that you have a podcast that you guys have together that keeps you focused. You realize that you can't get involved in every little thing that comes your way because it will distract you from your purpose. You having this podcast, Tony and Emmanuel helps you to have such a focus that, hey, okay, yeah, I, I know that it's time to pull away from this certain thing. Or I know that it's time for me to kind of eject out of this conversation because that's not helping us accomplish the goal of sharing people's testimonies. Do you catch what I'm saying? A, 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 a goal helps you having a purpose. There's a scripture where God says that where there is no vision, the people perish. There, another way of saying that is when you ain't got nothing to occupy your time, you get caught up in mess. But when you have something to occupy your time with positive, then you don't have time to worry about who likes you and who doesn't. You don't have time to worry about who's with you and who's not. You simply live your life to hear God say to you one day, well done. And that's how you get through. How would you how would you advise and like encourage someone that um, feels as though like they've done a lot of things that they're not proud of? How would you encourage them to like move forward and let go and not allow that stuff to like hold them back from like feeling like they're valuable enough to I guess have a purpose or valuable, mm -hmm. valuable enough to do things that they may want to do or that they feel like God has told them to do? Very good question. How do you how do you encourage somebody to get back up and to keep going, although they may have been told that they lack value, that they have no purpose, that the devil is perhaps telling them that they're no good? Very good question, Tony. Revelation chapter 12, verse 11. I'm going to share a scripture with you. And I'm not a Bible thumping Christian. I'm not one of those guys that, oh, you better, you know, fire and brimstone. No, that's not my style. However, I do believe that the word of God is a guide. Revelation 12, 11 says that we as God's people overcome Satan through the blood of the lamb, which is Jesus, and through the word of our testimony. Let me break that down. 
Somebody right now thinks that because of their lifestyle before, the drugs, the sex, the alcohol, the pornography, the self-abuse, somebody thinks that because they were molested by a parent or guardian, somebody right now thinks that because somebody told them when, as a child that you'd never be nothing, that you won't ever be anything. But the very things that you went through, the abuse, the addictions, the molestation, the hurt, the pain, at the hands of parents, friends, family members, etc., that's your testimony. Or in other words, that's your story. And the Bible just told you and I in Revelation chapter 12, verse 11, that you are going to help others overcome by sharing your story. So you go through problems for a purpose. You go through issues. You may not see it right when you're going through it. You may not feel it right as you're going through it. Because, yeah, you know, it's not comfortable. It's not a glamorous type thing to say that I was abused physically, emotionally, sexually by someone. It's not a glamorous thing to say that I stumbled on pornography at the age of 9, 10, 11, 12 years old. It's not a glamorous thing to say that I have kind of given my body over to people early on and I still find myself addicted to that. It's not glamorous to say that I've, uh, I'm, uh, I'm hooked to drugs or alcohol or, 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 or whatever it is that's got you caught up. It's not glamorous. However, you just were told that God is going to use your story, your life story of, as to what you went through to uplift someone. So my answer to you who are struggling, to the one who feels like he or she will be nothing, to the one who has been told that you'll never be anything, you just keep on living. And you find a way to weave your story into your life. Whatever you do, you're a carpenter, weave your story into it. If you are a biologist, weave your story into that. Tony, whatever your major was and, and is that you're about to graduate from, you weave your personal story about your father not perhaps being in your life fully. Emmanuel, you weave your story, whatever your story is, into your, uh, your business, into your, your everyday life because that's what's going to be used to build someone up. So don't look at what you've gone through and say, man, I'll never be anything. Cause that's what my mama told me, man, I'll never be anything. Cause look at what I'm addicted to. No, my friend, you are in good company because God wants to use your story to uplift somebody else who like you is going through perhaps similar situations. So you are not wasted. You are not, you're not, uh, you, you don't lack value. You, you, you have a purpose. And even the hardships and the pain that you've gone through has a purpose. God allowed it so that you could use it to uplift someone else who in this life is going through it too. So what advice do you have for a young person that is struggling with like the loneliness that comes from removing themselves from that type of lifestyle? Loneliness is a real emotion. It's a real issue. I'm not going to sweep it under the rug. Many of us are alone, but yet still around people. We are alone in a crowded room. <laughs> If that makes sense. And, and if you understand what I'm saying, then you understand what I'm saying. Um, we can be so deep in our thoughts 
as a result of abuse or an addiction or some mistreatment that even in the presence of others, we feel alone. And we feel as if the relationships around us are pretentious, that these people really don't care for us, that these people really don't love us. How do you minister to somebody who's emotionally hurt and feels that he or she is alone? Again, I want that person to consider his or her life and the trials and the tribulations that they have gone through and are currently going through. And I want them to consider that if God was not with them, what they've gone through would have killed them already. If God was not with you, dealing, helping you deal with the abuse, helping you to deal with the mistreatment, helping you to deal with um, uh, the molestation, the addiction, you would be dead already. Now, they may not be so comforting when you consider that, man, well, what I went through was, man, I mean, it might as well killed me, right? I know that's how many of us feel, and I understand. However, if the enemy was really set loose on us the way that he wanted to be, we would have never made it past one day old. The devil would have killed us the moment they snatched us out of our mother's womb. And God didn't allow that. So to the person that's alone or feels as if you are without friends, without hope, without somebody in your life to console you, that is why God didn't just leave commands in the Bible. And that's where we as Adventists get it wrong. And that's why many young people walk away from the Adventist faith because all we talk about is rules and laws. When we stop and read the Bible long enough, you see stories of men and women who were alone, you see stories of men and women who were broken, stories of men and women who had addictions, stories of men and women who had problems that were molested, mistreated, who were sold as slaves by their brothers into foreign countries, who had issues with sex, who had issues with alcoholism. We see issues that real people deal with outside of just the Ten Commandments, which say, thou shalt not, thou shalt not, thou shalt not. And so if I'm always sharing with you only the law, then it's going to be unattractive. I want you, young person, under the sound of my voice, to go to the Bible and start reading the stories of people like Jacob and see how he was alone traveling from his homeland to his uncle Laban after he deceived his father uh, uh, Esau. I mean, sorry, not Esau, Isaac, out of the birthright. He was by himself. But what did God do? He gave him a vision of a ladder of angels going up and down on that ladder to remind him, you are never alone, Jacob. And then later, later on, he changed his name from Jacob to Israel, which suggests that the whole time I was watching you, because then he goes to Laban, his uncle, and his uncle deceives him. He thought he was going to marry the one girl, Rachel, who he loved, but he ended up marrying Leah, the other girl who he didn't love. So he kind of did reap what he sowed, Yet God was still with him the whole time. And then when he leaves and he has to come back and see his brother Esau, what happens? Did God leave him? No, he ends up in a wrestling match with Jesus because that's you. That's Jesus saying to you, the whole time I've been watching you, I've been following you. And I've got you. Don't worry about your brother Esau. I'm going to protect you. That's a story that's practical that helps somebody who may feel like he or she is alone. Mm. You understand? Yeah. We, we as Adventists, we, you know, I, I know we get it wrong sometimes. And I must apologize for the older folk. You know, I'm still young like you two. So don't, don't, don't connect me in that. <laughs> don't connect me in, 
in 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 that category. I'm still young, like you guys. I'm I'm nearly forty, but hey, I'm still young. All right. So at the end of the day, I read the Bible for the stories that are in it because it comforts me to realize that in those stories, I see the presence of God in these people's lives. And therefore, I can, I can rest assured that his presence is in my life too. And that he's not all about do's or don'ts because in me not doing what he's asked me to do, he never leaves me. And I got to know that. In me making mistakes, he never leaves me. And I got to know that. In, in, in me not getting it right, he never leaves me. Many will have you thinking that because you don't do the X, Y, Z, Jesus is not with you. And that's not true. And that's why many young people right now are walking away because they don't feel the presence of God because they've been taught that if they don't do certain things, then God's presence isn't with you. And that's a lie from the pits of hell. He said that I'll never leave you. Jacob was leaving his homeland because he had done wrong. But did God not, did God leave him? No, he had just lied to his daddy. And yet God still gave him a vision of a ladder of angels going up and down that ladder, which represents that I am in your life. So to the wounded, broken person who is going through it, God is with you. And I would encourage you to read the stories in the Bible of people like Jacob, people like Jacob's son, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. I would encourage you to read the stories, not just the laws, and see how God works in the lives of people because that's exactly how he wants to work in your life. Um, okay, so what would you say or how would you maybe counsel somebody that experienced that great loss or heartbreak that you were talking about earlier and God has started to soften their heart. But since they're, since maybe all they're used to is addiction and destructive habits, uh-huh. they just keep returning to it. Um, how, how do you resist and say no to temptations and desires to re- return to destructive patterns? Very practical question, Emmanuel. I'm glad that you asked. I'm going to use an example. I used to work at Publix Grocery Store. And when I worked there, there was a young lady that would come in there every day and she would only check out in my aisle. Now, why am I sharing this? As a Christian man, just because I love God, that does not mean that there aren't certain weaknesses that I have. And we have to acknowledge our weaknesses in order to get help. One of my weaknesses is a beautiful face. In my past life, before I gave my life to God, I've told you that sex and having a lot of sex partners was an issue for me. So when this woman would come into my aisle all the time, I would get nervous because she would always have a bust out. She would always look very nice, smell good. And she'd be smiling with me, you know, flirting with me, right? And I'm married. So one day she comes into my aisle and I'm, I'm nervous. I'm sweating like a, a cow on a dairy farm. I'm like, Lord, what am I going to do? You know, because I don't want to I don't want to betray my first love, which is God. And I don't want to betray my wife either. But sister was fine. I'm just going to be real. So what did I do? The Holy Spirit right then says, because I have a connection, a living connection with God. I've learned to talk to him in the middle of whatever problems I'm facing. And I heard God say to me in my, in my mind, Andre, 
cry out to me me I said okay Lord so she comes up to the to the counter and she puts her groceries and she gives me this big smile and she's you know jiggling her body in my face I'm just I'm not, that's as far as I'm gonna go with that let your imagination be your guide and uh right then I I cry out in front of her Lord help me and she looks at me and she's like are you okay I said yeah I'm fine I said I I, I said I'm sorry if I startled you I, I wasn't talking to you, however, um, I was just talking to my friend. And she looked at me and she smiled. She got her groceries. And believe it or not, I never saw her come back in my line again. Wow. What, what does that mean? How do I make sense of that to you? For the person who is struggling, the person who has addictions, you cry out to God right when you feel a desire towards your addiction, towards that thing that you're struggling with. God is a friend. And see, you don't know that when all you know is the law. You only know that God is a friend because you saw how he befriended Jacob. You saw how he befriended Abraham. You saw how he befriended Joseph. You saw how he befriended David through everything that they went through, right? You don't, you don't get that idea of God being a friend when you only know him as a God. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. Thou shalt not. So you don't want to have nothing to do with that because it's like, well, you ain't helping me when in reality he is. You just don't know. You hadn't been taught. You hadn't seen it for yourself. You hadn't read the word and saw how he was a friend to David when David had to face Goliath, when David had to face uh, the, the, the lions and the bears that came to steal his father's sheep. You find out that Jesus was a friend. And is a friend. So to the struggling person, I would say to you, realize that Jesus is your friend and realize it and acknowledge it right when you are weak. If you're struggling with pornography and you feel the temptation to come on you to go and look at pornography, Jesus, I need your help. And you say it out loud. See, the devil doesn't want you to speak against him. He wants you to keep it on the hush. He wants you to play with the thought in your mind and then which will eventually lead to you doing that thing. So the minute you feel something in your body that says go smoke or go drink, go look at this pornography, go and have sex with this woman that's not your wife, go and have sex with this man that's not your husband. The minute you feel those things coming on, open your mouth and say, Lord, I need your help. And it doesn't matter who's around you. Because see, one thing too, as young people, we are a lot of times worried about perception and what people think. I don't care what you think about me. I don't care what you think about me, friend. You can think that I'm crazy. You can think that I'm stupid. But I'm going to call on my God when I need him. The Bible in the book of Psalms says that the name of the, no, in Proverbs, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. So let me break that down. If God's name is a strong tower and I can run into it and be safe, then I got to call on his name. Jesus, I need you right now. I feel this temptation coming on me. Jesus, I need you right now. My eyes want to betray me and look at this woman that's half-dressed and start lusting, 
Lord, I need you right now. I see this brother on the corner smoking a cigarette, and you know that's my weakness, and now I want to go smoke one too. Lord, I need you right now. I, I feel this desire for pornography, and I, I, I want to go and look it up on the computer, but Lord, I need you right now. And you practically learn to run to God as your strong tower by practicing that. It's not an overnight process, but you do it constantly. As often as you're tempted, that's as often as you need to call on his name. And that's the advice that I would give you if you are struggling with temptation, because you're going to struggle, or rather should I say, you're going to feel it. But that doesn't mean you have to give in to it, because the Bible also says that if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. Too often we give way to our emotions and feelings. And when our emotions and feelings say it's time for something, we don't have any control over it, so we just let our emotions control us. But God says in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not unto your own understanding. Your heart is your emotions, your feelings. So when your emotions and feelings get the best of you, instead of trusting in your emotions and feelings to guide you, you trust in the Lord and say, God, I know what you told me to do. And I ask you for your help right now because I feel like doing X, Y, Z, but I don't want to do it. I don't want to break the communication with you and I. That's my answer to that. Okay. Um, I had a question. I know you had um, talked about like issues with the weight and things like that. Mm -hmm. So how did you overcome that? Because that's an addiction for people as well. Yes. Yeah, big time. You know, and I remember as a kid, when we lived in the Bahamas, she would send me to the grocery store, which was about a half a mile up the street from where we lived. And I would walk to the store and grab old Henry chocolate bars, M&M bars, uh, you know, Twix bars, and I'd bring them home. And uh, she would eat them because whenever she was emotional, going through it with my dad, she would eat to get over her pain. And that became my addiction. So yeah, for sure, there are many people that their first addiction before they ever try any drug or sex is food. And that's how they comfort themselves. How did I get over that? First and foremost, I, I, it was, it's kind of funny I got over it. When I was a kid, when I was 15, 16, I was fat and none of the girls liked me. And I, at the age of 17, I was like, you know what? I'm tired of being by myself. <laughs> I'm tired of being the black sheep. No, none of the girls, you know, like me. I was always intelligent, but you know, that didn't really make, make a difference to the young chicks that I was interested in. So I decided just to start exercising. I got, I signed up for the football team in my ninth grade year. And with all of that exercising and practicing and football, uh, it helped me to lose the weight, but that's not actually practical advice per se for everyone because everybody's not going to join the football team, the basketball team. And some of us are past that age where we're no longer in high school to even do that if we wanted to. So, however, you can exercise. Now, let me make this clear. Low self-esteem is connected to overeating. And that's a mental problem. That ain't something you can exercise away. You've got to know that you are valuable, that you are loved, 
that you are beautiful as a girl or handsome as a man. You've got to know that irregardless of what others may have said or irregardless of you perhaps being excommunicated or excluded from certain activities due to your weight or whatever. You've got to know your value. How do you know it? Again, you've got to come or become acquainted with your gifts and your talents because no matter how big you are, how small you are, how slow or how fast you may be, all of us have gifts. Become acquainted with your gifts. And when you become acquainted with your gifts, ask God if you don't know what they are. Ask him to reveal to you. Because when you become acquainted with your gifts, you start valuing yourself more. It's like having a million dollars versus having $3. If you got a million dollars, you carry yourself a little differently. If you got a million dollars, it's like, well, you know, I hate I don't shop in just any store because just any store doesn't deserve my time and space now, now that I've got this kind of money. Well, you've got to think about yourself in the same way. I have these gifts. I have certain talents. And now I don't want to encourage arrogance and pride. But what I want you to do is to consider that you have a gift. And if you feel like you're overweight or you're struggling with that addiction of overeating, then know what your gifts are. For example, I'm only using this as an example. Tony and Emmanuel have this podcast. So let's just say Tony had an issue with, I don't know, let's just say pornography, and that Emmanuel had a, an addiction with overeating. You, one of your gifts that you're using and utilizing is the gift of reaching out to others in the form of this podcast. So in the consumption of that thought in your mind, Emmanuel, that'll help you to pull away from the overeating and say, you know what? I'm valuable. People need me. People look forward to my podcast every month. I can't overeat and destroy myself because, again, remember, overeating is a psychological issue and you feel unworthy. So look at your gift. Look at your talent, Emmanuel. You're looking at the fact that you're doing this podcast and you're doing this podcast and people like it. Your mom likes it. Your dad likes it. Friends that you're associated with like it. Pull away from the table, if not for yourself, just so that you can continue to utilize your gift and eventually that will become a self thing. You'll be doing it for yourself. Tony, this is to say that your issue, like I said, with pornography, and you don't feel like you're valuable. Look at the fact that you've got this podcast. Look at the fact that you're graduating from college. You, you're a valuable person. That means that you have done something that 80% of society has yet to do, and that is go to school for four years and get a degree. That shows your worth right there. And then on top of that, you've got a podcast. So even if you're not doing it first for yourself, do it for your audience. Do it for those that need your gift. Do it for those that need what it is that you have to offer. And eventually you will come to find that, hey, you know what? I do love myself. You know what? Yeah, man, I... I, I've got this great gift. I've got this great talent. Look at me, man. People love this. Again, I don't want to encourage arrogance or pride, but I do want you to be concerned with the fact that somebody needs what you offer. And that can be a way to help you walk away from the addiction, the overeating, the self-abuse, to know your value. And then somebody right now said, well, I don't have a gift. I don't have a podcast. You know, I don't preach. I don't teach. I didn't go to school. Everyone has a gift. 
we need to spend just a little time in prayer with God, asking him to reveal to us what our gift is. And one way I'll say this real quickly to identify your gift. What is it that you think a lot about? For example, you could be in church and if you like the music, you identify quickly that, man, that song wasn't well done or that person can't sing that good and not to be biased. But if you can identify certain weaknesses in things, that may be your strength, that particular area. If you identify who can sing and who can't, maybe you have a gift in singing. If you can identify who's funny and who's not, maybe you have a gift in telling jokes. If you can identify what video is well produced and what's not, maybe you have a gift in producing videos. There's ways to find out what your gifts are, is what I'm saying here. And when you become acquainted with what you can do and what you have as in, in terms of value, that helps you to pull away from the table if that's what your addiction is. Because you know that if you overeat, you will kill yourself and you won't be able to produce that gift and give back to the world. So that's how I would answer that question. Okay. Okay, that's all the questions that I had, um, Mr. Battles. Is there anything else that you would want to add or any way that maybe a listener could reach out to you if they want to talk to you about anything? Well, again, uh, Tony and Emmanuel, I appreciate the time that you guys have allotted to give me to share my story. I hope that it has been encouraging to the young person that's under the sound of my voice that has gone along and listened to my story. I lost my leg in 2017. I've been a diabetic since 1997. I lost vision in my left eye in 2018. I had a CDL commercial driver's license. I didn't finish college. I went to school three times and never finished my degree, but you see me ministering here right now. You don't have to have a degree to fulfill your calling, to fulfill your purpose. I don't have any degree. And most likely I'll never have one. But I'm doing busy. I'm staying busy for God. I'm staying busy using my gifts to encourage others. For Tony, I know you see me on Facebook. Emmanuel, hopefully that you get to see me there too if you are on Facebook. I'm also on TikTok. I am busy doing the work of God that he called me to do, which is encouraging others. That's my ministry. I lost my first wife in 2019. I have two precious daughters, one 13 and one eight that I don't get to see every day because they live with their mom. I've had several addictions from cocaine to crack to marijuana, sex, pornography, I've been told that I was fat, ugly, stupid, and I'll never amount. In fact, I had a counselor in school when I was a child tell me that you will never be nothing. Mm. I had a counselor tell me that. And Seventh-day Adventist counselor. Wow. However, I throw sand in his face if he still is watching, because I know his children watch me on Facebook. I throw sand in his face, not that I'm doing it to prove him wrong, I do what I do because God gave me a drive and a passion and a vision. However, I'm throwing sand in his face with every day I get up and I do my best and him having to remember his words to me. That you'll never be nothing. When here now God has given me the opportunity to influence thousands of people, many of whom I don't even know through my ministry on Facebook, YouTube, and, and TikTok. So 
What am I saying in conclusion? You may feel as if you are nothing. You've been told that you are nothing. You may, be, you may have been told that you, are, you will never be nothing but just a doormat for men to walk on. Or you may be a guy who's been told, oh, you just, all you about is sex and running around and, 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 and messing with women. You'll never be nothing. My friend, my, my brother, my sister, I want you to look at my life. If I, at 39 years old, I'm still walking this earth with one leg, two bum kidneys on a dialysis machine, as we speak, I'm still hooked up to a dialysis machine right now as I'm talking to you. If I can, with a left eye that's bum and I can't see, I can still drive, I can still maneuver, I'm still ministering, I'm still having a relationship with God. If, 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 if my life can be restored and God can put new love into my life through my new wife, then he can restore your life. Because I'm almost certain that most of you, if not all of you, under the sound of my voice, have both your legs, both your arms, and both your kidneys still working. Both your eyes still working. So meaning that you can get your life together before you get to my level. You don't have to lose a limb. You don't have to lose an eye. You don't have to lose your first wife or first husband. You don't have to lose for access to your children on a day-to-day -day basis. You can get it turned around now. Because if you see me doing it, then that's encouragement to know you can too. You've got to have a goal. You've got to have a purpose. You've got to be driven. And, and, and if you're not, naturally, that's okay. That's what God is there for. Not to preach to you these do's and don'ts and thou shalt not. God is there to uphold you and to uplift you and to encourage you and to, and, and, and to push you. He's the wind in your sails. And I want you to remember that. Go to him in prayer. And you don't have to be on your knees. You don't have to get into a formal position of prayer on your knees and cry out to God in that way. You can, right where you're sitting, say, Lord, I need your help. Lord, I've made a mess out of my life. Or, or others have destroyed my life up to this point due to the abuse and the mistreatment. Lord, I need your help to turn things around. See, God loves projects. P-R-O-J-E-C-T-S. God loves projects. You know, now we look at it as black folk and we say, well, you know, the project is where they throw us and they cast us to the side. And that might be true. But anything that is cast to the side by man, God takes special care at looking at. Anything that man casts to the side, God says, that's what I want. When man says, I want this nice looking fellow over here that's got all of his limbs and, and all of his intelligence, God says, well, you know, I don't judge based on what you're looking at. I'm judging the heart. And although this person over here has some issues, I want them because I want to fix them up. The quicker, thicker, uh, what's the commercial? The, the swiffer, uh, quicker picker-upper. You may be yeah. too young to remember that. The yeah. swiffer, quicker picker-upper. God. Not bounty. God. The swiffer picker-upper. He will pick you up, swift you up, clean you up, and put you to work. And that's what he does. He did it to me. He'll do it for you. So don't look at your brokenness and think that you are obsolete or that God can't do something for you. Because he's doing something for you every day. 
and he'll do it for you. And that's what I'll end my thoughts with. Okay. Thank you again, Mr. Battles, for taking the time to come and share your story with us. My pleasure. My pleasure, guys. Can we close with a word of prayer? Yes. Yes. Let's pray. Father in heaven, it is a privilege. It's been an honor to be here with Emmanuel and Tony. I'm so grateful that three months back, Sister Tony asked me while having lunch at her mother's home if I would share my story. And I was anxious to do it then. But everything is in your time. And I pray that as we have spent this time to share and to delve into my life, that somebody, somebody, if it's just one person, even if it's just Tony and Emmanuel, that their lives are changed for the better as a result of hearing about my story. Lord, I'm asking that you would produce your righteousness in us. But Lord, we realize now that you do that by showing us how much you love us in the day-to-day trials and tribulations that we experience. You ain't never left us. You've never, le- you've never separated yourself from us, no matter how rebellious we've been. You've always been there. When we were getting high, you were there. When we were having sex outside of marriage, you were there. When we were drinking and smoking, when we were watching pornography, you were right there. You never left us. And we need to know that so that we can turn to you and say, Father, I'm ready to come home. Help us, Father God, to come back home to you. This is my prayer. And we pray it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Thank you again, Mr. Battles. You guys are most welcome. And uh, Emmanuel, I don't know if uh, you're connected to me on Facebook. Do you have Facebook, first of all? Yes, I do. Okay, let me have your phone number. What's your number, brother? 205-205-609-609-64-89. Okay. And uh, that's Emmanuel. What was your last name? Williams. Williams, okay. And all right, I got it. I'm sending you a text message right now. Uh, and I will send you the links to my Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. I don't know if you have TikTok. Um, I, I know you don't. Okay, well, I know that's what most of the the youth are dealing with nowadays, but that's okay. Um, Emmanuel Williams, okay, I'm sending you that message now. Okay, uh, it was a pleasure, uh, guys, and I really look forward to this. And, hey, if we want to do it again, I'll be willing to do it again. Sister Tony, thank you. And tell your mom we said hello. We'll see you guys hopefully next. Okay. All right, guys. See you again. Thank you. Y'all too. All right. Bye-bye. All right. Bye.